a slumber party to bare their souls. Some people may have to leave early. All the girls are coming. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Come on! We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month which i did the math on we are approaching 50 episodes now Oof. for bonus listeners so if you haven't made the jump yet that's, that's awesome. how many episodes are waiting for you and speaking of which we did have four people make the jump this week and they Beautiful. are brent gilmore thank you brent scott boostrom uh fred price and lars mosij norheim Cool. <laughs> I think I got that right, but he can let Very me know awesome. otherwise. Thank you guys. Um, so yeah, thanks to you guys for uh, joining up and getting all those bonus episodes. Hope you're enjoying them. Um, the other plug for the week, as always, iTunes. If you guys are listening on yes, iTunes, please. make sure to give us a good old rating and review over there. Uh, it helps us climb the rankings and find new listeners that way as well. But those are the plugs. Welcome. My name is Josh. And I'm Jamie. Welcome we are back. your usual hosts here every week for you guys i think two weeks ago would have been the last time uh you guys free listeners would have heard from us and that would have seen us have uh guest lance saint laurent on Mm. to talk uh sort of like bad journalism noir adjacent films those movies were wild uh we did shot corridor by sam fuller and ace in the hole by Billy Wilder, both very cynical and grim films about the media industry. I had so, no idea they were doing that like in the 50s. Like yeah, Ace in the Hole, 53. Yeah, crazy. pretty nuts. Or maybe even 51. I, yeah, I think it was lying. 51. Uh, yeah. Either way, if you haven't heard that episode again, uh, two weeks ago, any podcast listener of choice, that was the free episode. But last week, uh, finishing up our uh, last episode of Noir of Ember, we did a Fritz Lang double feature of Oof. M. 1931 uh made before he fled uh the nazis in germany and then we did uh the big heat from 1953 um which was kind of on the tail end of his hollywood career and either way fritz lang one of the uh most interesting uh, filmmakers to come out of Germany using all yeah. kinds of really grim subject matter and, I guess influential and stark photography. Like, very influential. Because M, right? That was like, he made basically the kind of aesthetic of noir and all that, right? Yeah, for a lot of different, well, along for with a, other yeah. filmmakers as well. But yes, sure. very influential film. Yeah, and that, so that was, if you want that episode, that was last week's episode. Um, that was uh, patreon.com slash Thuzoids podcast. That was the bonus episode for you guys. Yeah, check it but out. this week, we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, we have a freelance film writer for places such as Bitch Media and now the New York Times, and yeah. also uh, host of the Bad Romance podcast. Uh, that is Jordane Searles. Jordane, how are you doing? 
I'm all right. I'm all right. I got a LaCroix. I'm good. <laughs> that feels correct for what you're about to bring with you, which speaking of which, we have the guests bring the movies with them. So what two films have you brought with you this week and why do they pair together? Slumber Party Massacre and Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yes. Part of the only slasher trilogy made entirely by women. Um, and also the two most fun ones. The third one's kind of a bummer. Um, uh, <laughs> didn't get to check that one out, so that's a bummer to hear. But <laughs> I mean, it's still fun, but it's not as... Like, after two, it's kind yeah. of like you could have just stopped because it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get but, past what happens in two, for sure. But yes, they are both movies about a group of attractive young women who are harassed by a guy with a drill because it's a giant dick, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and also I think, yeah, the girl from the, the young girl from the first one is supposed to be older. One of the older girls in the second one, of course, is played by a completely different actress. Right. So that's really the only like actual character connection. And also, I guess there are two separate guys that like to kill teenage girls with drills, yeah. And one of which is cool, like we'll get it into it, but it's almost like a it's almost supernatural in a way, you know, like with the oh, second yes. one, how he comes into reality. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I think I think it's been noted pretty uh, um, like bluntly that the first film Corman asked for a Halloween clone and for the second film he asked for a Nightmare on Elm Street style thing. Oh, so okay. th that, that was kind of that, that was kind of the thing is Corman would always give all these he would give a lot of directors freedom but freedom in the sense of like the premise was there Yeah, and he was like here's what I'm going to sell this movie as. So, go so you have that. to at least make it enough like this that I can wow. sell it that way. And then they, after that, he was like, go nuts. <laughs> well, that's amazing because I totally did get those Nightmare on Elm Street vibes from the second one. Just with, as you know, the killer specifically, how he, how he kind of works. Walks through literal nightmares. Yeah, Freddy exactly. Style. Yeah, very similar in that sense. Even how he, yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> I'm just too excited. But that being said, I think we are going to jump right into these. Uh, we are going to start here with the Slumber Party Massacre. Let's do it. <laughs> sure no one's getting any sleep the night of the slumber party massacre i love how dedicated um well all of the movies but especially the first one is and just like having men sound completely ridiculous because <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how it opens and i mean this first one was written by um, Rita Mae Brown, and it was originally supposed to be a spoof of slashers. And you can kind of see the bones in there, but, you know, the way that Amy Holden Jones directs it, it's like both the spoof and playing it straight at the same time. And yeah. it's very weird. But you can tell the spoof parts of it whenever the guys are talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. There's even, like, lines in when they have that very gratuitous uh, 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 scene in the in the shower after the gym 
And, the, oh, and they're yeah. saying lines that are like straight out of like a softcore porn or something. Just like, you're, I think your boobs are getting bigger, Stacy. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know. So it, it seemed obvious to me that that there was a bit of a like a satire with. Yeah, it, they were you know? they were playing around with the trends. Of right. Slasher exactly. Films. Even though they're also pretty much putting it right in your face as well. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Amy Holden Jones was on the record as saying that she kind of regrets a little bit of the shower scene now because she oh, was yeah. like, she yeah. thinks it was a little obvious. She was like, yeah. she was like, I really didn't need that pan up and down. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really, Amy Holden Jones is, is really interesting because she got started kind of, you know, um, making these uh sort of like independent student films she she did these uh she did a short documentary called a weekend home that actually competed at the uh, afi film festival and that was where she got uh noticed actually by martin scorsese she ended up winning the prize and martin scorsese was on the jury for that um and then years later when she was like i don't want to go back to school i want to make films she saw in the papers that martin scorsese was gearing up to make a new film she called him and said hey i made that film that you liked that one time Uh, like what do you think should i start making films or whatever and uh he brought her on as assistant assistant to the director for taxi driver wow so she got to see beginning to end process of the making of taxi driver no idea that's awesome and then marty put her in touch with roger corman because uh in his own words he said you are uh hold on where is it here i have the exact thing he said something along the lines of she's too talented she's too good to be an assistant so she said that she should be doing something else (laughs) that's great uh called up corman and said hey look i've got a young filmmaker for you and he's always on the hunt because i was scorsese got started with making Corman films, Dante, Jonathan Demme. A lot of these guys got started working with for Corman. Um, So she started editing films for Corman. She edited a Joe Dante film, um, I believe, uh, his Hollywood Boulevard. And then eventually uh, she was asked to edit, I kid you not, uh, E.T. Steven Spielberg (laughs) wanted her to edit E.T. And instead she decided that she likes editing films, Mm -hmm. but she never quite felt like she was putting her own stamp uh, by editing other people's films. Like she was like, I can help make a film better, but it's not mine. It's someone else's film. So she turned down editing E.T. to make Slumber Party Massacre. Okay. Corman was like, I guess I'll let you. Thank God that she did. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she says she never regretted it. She was like, regardless of what people think about my film versus E.T., she was like, I made my film. I put my name in right, there. Right. And um, so so this like Slumber Party Massacre was, wasn't just like handed to her? Was this kind of something she... She pulled a screenplay off the Corman wall. Okay. So apparently the screenplay had already existed for a couple of years and it had been sitting there and she pulled it off his shelf of screenplays and said, this is the one that appeals to me she did like a small rewrite on it and then shot about 10 minutes of it and then sent it to corman and corman was like all right here's the budget for the full thing oh wow that's awesome so she kind of just took the initiative she was just like this is a screenplay that appeals to me yeah um and i see that it is both it is a parody but also i she's just a really solid filmmaker so when she approached it she was like you need to take some of these elements seriously uh, or it's not going to be scary. Um, For sure. So you do get a kind of a unique meta effect where you're watching something that is, you know, <laughs> clearly intentionally funny. Yeah. And then suddenly you are shocked by, you know, like a drill popping through someone's chest, like Xenomorph yeah. style and like, like viscera on the blade of it. And, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And so Amy Holden Jones is so cool. Also, I want to point out that the cinematographer on Taxi Driver is her her husband yes. like they got oh, married. Wow. yeah <laughs> he's a really like well-known cinematographer it's pretty cool um but yeah uh, there's something so 
like distinctly feminine about Slumber Party Massacre that I really, really love. Like the thing that really pops out to me is the younger sister reading Playgirl and like <laughs> Say, Yeah, it's saying it's her biology homework. <laughs> it's just a classic <laughs> good line. The little sister is honestly best character. <laughs> yeah, she's very funny in it. She's really funny, but it's so it's a funny movie that kind of like I think it is subversive in a way, the way that it depicts men. I mean, you could also say it's similar to Black Christmas in that sense, where it's just yeah. the men are kind of useless. There's um, a great part in the beginning where one of them like body slams her boyfriend <laughs> for walking up on it too fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's like a full jujitsu move. <laughs> and, then, and then she tells him that he needs to learn how to fall better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is so good. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 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 right in that. I would say that like it's interesting because it's a very short film, and there's also yeah. like no fat on it in any capacity. Like no. like the the killer is already knocking people off in the first like three minutes of the film. Yeah, basically. and speaking of which, I really love uh, her direction with like the the scene where the two guys are walking after I believe they hit on the girl that was doing the construction or the lighting or something. And yeah. she gets pulled into the van, and in the background you can see her like pounding on the window for oh, the yeah. help, and then pulled down. It's just it's just some really good direction with kind of like revealing the scares. Because then afterwards uh, they go back and they walk past a dumpster, and they don't see her because of the angle that they're on, but the camera can see the body, mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's really good. I was surprised at some of the, no, she makes good of use shots. of like the space of her frames and yeah. stuff like that. Because especially when the, when the van is kind of like taking up like the whole left side of the frame. And you're kind of wondering why it's such a huge presence. And then that hand right. just comes out of it, pulls her in, door slams. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, there's some really, like, effective horror filmmaking. And you can tell, obviously, that, you know, there's a little bit of Carpenter in... Because that's a lot of stuff that Carpenter would do with his wide-angle lensing and stuff like that. Yeah, there's I a mean, couple POV shots, too. Yeah, of, of yeah. him doing the, the, the breathing that he's doing. They right. even have the whole bit where he's just, like, the, the escaped mental patient oh, on the radio and yeah everything. yeah yeah it's, it, it's very there's there's a lot of like uh sort of like michael myers visual sensibility to the way For that sure. she's taken it on here but what's interesting and really interesting about this um is a lot of the downtime it's really just like it, it is it's a slumber party it is a hangout movie yeah. where you're just kind of watching these people just have funny conversations and half the time you're kind of like this is just kind of funny comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, oh, for yeah. real. Absolutely. Uh, it, it just punctuated by these really, really, like, horrifying sequences in, <laughs> yeah. in, in the middle there. And it reminded me a lot of what Deborah Hill tried to put into Halloween. And, it, you know, it, I think it did get into Halloween. But this, it, it's even more in there, which was she yeah. tried to take the language of, like, the conversations she had with other babysitters in the community. And she tried to fit that into the screenplay when they were making Halloween. And yeah. I feel like... Uh, they did a lot of that here, and I, I have a feeling that Holden Jones on her rewrite must have really focused on some of those conversations that they were happening. Yeah. I mean, at one point, they're just talking about how much of a hunk Sylvester Stallone is, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite part, <laughs> seeing Stallone on the Playgirl magazine. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Cobra. <laughs> I mean, he was really hot. Um <laughs> Can we talk about one of the best comedic scenes, not just of the playgirl scene, very, very good, but also 
There's a part where a pizza guy dies and then Jackie eats the puts the pizza over the dead body and then starts eating it. Yeah, and then she says like I oh I feel better now or something like that. Like there's a sense of relief now that, that, that now that she's at least not hungry, you know? Well and, and, and before she does that, genuinely one of the funniest lines in the movie is they approach the pizza guy and the one girl says, Oh ew, he's cold. And then she leans over and she goes is the pizza like is the pizza cold or is it still warm is it still good to eat <laughs> that's so funny oh yeah that yeah. that was one of stuff my like that is when sure. you can really tell that they're taking a bit of the piss on it all yeah, exactly yeah a hundred percent because they don't start to get like super serious until the killer is more revealed to everybody right because like then they start like even the killer has kind of like this this more serious tone to him when he starts to talk to them. Like, uh, he, he says stuff like, uh, I do this because I love you or something <laughs> like that. It takes, yeah. it takes a lot of love to do something like this. And, and it's not really connected <laughs> too much with the rest of the film. I don't find like with his character and well, no, else. they don't really try to psych, like, but it's, still effective. it's just kind of creepy, you know, it adds a little bit of a, a creepy factor to it. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way about the killer in Black Christmas, even though we do never see him. Just like this weird, like, pervert id, and he's just explaining it, and it just (laughs) sounds so, like, it sounds, like, depressing and weird and strange, and he's just like, no, this is completely normal. Yeah, yeah, this is love. (laughs) (laughs) This is purely from the heart. Well, and and especially because, like, we don't ever have him speak until that scene. Like, the rest of it, he's only ever captured in in this, like... And that's what, at first, I thought he was going to be. And it doesn't turn into much, but just, I thought he was going to just be that, you know, voiceless killer, and that was it. More like Michael Myers. Right, well, because, I mean, the the first, like, full-out, like murder sequence that we get is the one that goes through the gymnasium yeah and and really they just establish one his cartoonishly huge drill it's <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's so, so <laughs> inconveniently massive I'm like there's no way this is the easiest way to get the job done yeah um but it's obviously very established in the visual language that it is a penetrating tool it is it is yeah. definitely a, a, a phallic device there's even one shot that it has it literally hanging between his legs as the girl is like screaming and staring at it yeah Uh, (laughs) Uh, I also love that that part just uh, as a bit of like an effect is when like because he gets the girl and then in order for he's looking for her and it's very tense because you're not quite sure. And then I really do like the effect of the blood just slowly coming out of the door and it's just revealing uh, where she is. Yeah. yeah, And her also being smart enough to realize that that's happening and grabbing the towels and trying to like soak it up before it gets too far. Little moments (laughs) like that were really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's interesting watching how, you know, because I do feel like like watching it, I was like, clearly a woman has written this because she has mm-hmm. all these girls like actually making decisions. Y- yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of the time you're Just falling into the death kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and with these ones, there's a lot of decision making happening. And sometimes it's still silly. Like I really sure, love yeah. when the one girl goes into the garage and she's just like, I need a weapon. She's going through all the different. And for some reason, there's a fucking machete in there. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, what is the point of a household machete? <laughs> yeah. But that's fine. I mean, obviously, it's just a reference. I'm assuming it's a reference to Friday the 13th. 
18th, but yeah, probably. Uh, the best part is she grabs a buzzsaw. She plugs it in. She starts chasing him down because <laughs> she's, she's like, you know what? I'm going to buzzsaw the shit out of this guy. And the extension cord doesn't go quite long and enough. And it's great, too, because it's filmed like it's this triumphant moment. Yes. Like, she's about to get this killer. Yeah. And then, boom, slapstick humor, like, thrown at you. She just it's gets great. flown back down the <laughs> <Yeah>. stairs. <laughs> oh, man, it's fantastic. And, and I, I just love that slow reveal for it, too, because they don't quite show you the wire right away. Yeah. They do it at the last second. So it, it does add, like, a bit of a comedy effect. Well, yeah. there's all kinds of, like, sly little jokes in here. I mean, there, yeah. there's one when he's trying to drill through the door in the gym, and there is the giant sign that says emergency drill procedures, okay. which I assume <laughs> is about, like, gym, like, you know, in phys ed class yeah. drills. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and apparently, by the way, I was just I was looking up some of the production behind it because I know that this was super cheaply made. It was made on like one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars, something like nothing. They had no money to make this. Uh, and I, I saw that there was like a shot in the gymnasium where they were like somehow doing a crane shot, but without a crane. And I couldn't mm. figure out how they did it. And apparently they used this thing called like a cherry top or something like that. And they just hung someone up there. Oh, wow. and I was like, all right, I guess that's cool. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, Amy Holden Jones doing a lot of like guerrilla filmmaking as well while yeah. making this. And again, it's just, it's really effectively made. I found the horror in this, like the, the, the use of slow motion and some of the makeup, especially when the drill is like going through people and you can oh, see yeah. like the chunks the, of the makeup getting it's caught the spin on the drill. within a body is just so like it's so ugh. messy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just it gets right to your core. Yeah. It's it was I um did a screening of this at Alamo Draft House either I think it was either this year or last year. And it was so interesting because everybody came in expecting to be laughing the entire time and then were surprised when it was actually a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Which happened which happens every time I program something at Alamo Draft House. I program the Company of Wolves, and <laughs> that was the weirdest. That was the weirdest night. None of those adults knew that they were watching an actual movie. <laughs> Nobody <awesome>. Googles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just go for it. I uh, at, at the end, um, there was a, a really good moment um, when they're pretty much like it, it's the time where they're fighting back against the serial killer. And it's just a really awesome moment to watch, like, cause, cause all three of them start to start to fight him. I think Courtney's hiding underneath the, the couch, and then she trips him. And then the right. coach come, th that's arrived earlier grabs the fire poker and just starts like beating the shit out of him right. with the, it, the, the, which the, I was a little frustrated with because I was just like, poke him, <laughs> get it done. <laughs> but but it was it's a really. Uh, uh, effective scene. I the, liked it. The coach also gets one of my favorite fake outs in the movie because there's quite a few fake outs in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but the best one is when the coach is coming home and all of a sudden a drill starts coming at her face through her door and she's like, whoa. And then the door opens and the guy's like, hey, just install on your peephole. Yeah. And he leaves. He doesn't finish. He just <laughs> puts the drill of the hole in and then just leaves. <laughs> That's so funny. And I was like, all right, man. There's all kinds of like, you know, funny little details about this. I, I like when they're partying that it's it's uh, just Kool-Aid, weed, and Pringles. <laughs> That's how you party, man. That's yeah. Come on an amazing party. Yeah, it's such a great party. Everyone is so fun. Everyone is hot, but in like a way that appeals to me. <laughs> um, and I liked 
And this is really, the, and this is the only one with the black woman in it. But the fact that Jackie is here is great, not just for like regular representation, but as in like she is what I would be at this sleepover. Why? Well, I mean, she's like, the one who gets the pizza joke, which is the best <laughs> joke the in best the entire joke. movie. Without a doubt, I couldn't believe I, it. Yeah, I was so sad when she died. It's just like, no, but she's great. Um, The little sister is also great, especially because like a lot of why she wants to go over there is because she's like, oh, that's where the boys are going to be. Like, I want to go. Um, Yeah, the protagonist is probably the least interesting person, which makes sense because she's just she's new in school or something. She doesn't get she doesn't fit in for some reason, even (laughs) though they're all like conventionally attractive and like <laughs> yeah, every, every, everyone's like wow she's so hot let's pick on her well, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was an odd thing it was literally they just went with the new girl thing i guess it was it was a bit odd yeah yeah they, they definitely were trying to get a little bit of like a carrie type thing going on but yeah. just, they, they didn't have the character of carrie <laughs> yeah who has exactly. very explicit like uh different experiences that then they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, you're hanging out with all the cool girls in the Carrie universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And speaking of like, uh, something that did surprise me with all the kind of the satirical elements of this, of this film is, is the, the ending, which is pretty much straight up like traumatizing, you know, it, it's just, she, she kills the, the serial killer and then and then she just screams until the credits roll, and you're like, well, you know that that's that's just everlasting trauma right there, you know. Yeah. And it's just interesting I, that I I love that about it. Um, yeah. I love that it ends at that note, not just for dramatic purposes, but also because if you're killing someone, even if they're trying to kill you, killing someone is yeah. fucking traumatizing. Absolutely. Like sometimes it's like this weird, like triumphant thing in movies. And I'm just like, <laughs> right. but wait, process what just happened. Right. That, and I was surprised at that just because of the, you know, the film we were watching. I, I right. didn't think it was going to get to like this deep seated traumatic thing where she's actually been affected by uh, killing the killer. That was uh, that was very cool. Right. No, I, I think that's a really good point. It's a good point about both these films, because I think that in Rita um, Mae Brown's screenplay, that there's just there's something there about her just taking the female experiences of slashers like seriously, like making a parody out of the way that it's some they're sometimes abused in slashers. Yeah. But still taking that experience seriously. And I uh, I wanted to shout out that um uh, Willow Caitlin McClay had an awesome article that came out recently in movie notebook where she, uh, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes where she, um, did her case for the entire trilogy of slumber party massacre films. And, and one note that she highlighted in particular was the idea of, um, obviously, you know, there are uh, problematic elements to the slasher and that it kind of became a, a more, it was interesting that when it kind of rose up, it actually did have a lot of women being a uh, popular demographic for the genre, especially oh, when yeah. it became rentable and stuff like that, yeah. because it asked, you know, maybe the teenage boy audience it was it was made for to identify with a final girl, which is obviously like kind of like a huge part of uh, hmm. men, women and chainsaws that 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 book, um, uh, Carol J. 
Clover actually kind of like established that theory of thought on it. But Willow made a good point about this one where she said that, uh, you know, uh, if there's something to be reclaimed in the slasher films, that Slumber Party Massacre films do it especially, um, is because, you know, while boys went on adventures like Back to the Future or Stand By Me, women survived. Mm. That their the identifying role that you had in a slasher was a lot of the time this girl who was just inflicted with violence by men. And that right. was pretty much like what every slasher was boiled down to. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that, you know, even though this has spoof elements, it doesn't not take that aspect of it seriously, that this is like really oh, horrifying yeah. violence being done. Absolutely. I mean, even, even the girl that they make fun of throughout the film, because she's kind of like the horny one. She's the one always on the phone with the boys and stuff like that. And oh, she, right. she talks about your, my, I think our first amendment rights have been violated because they're listening in on the phone <laughs> yeah. calls. Like yeah. she's, 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 she's a bit silly and they she's like the one with the, with the boyfriend that gets his head yes, cut off. Right. Which is that, an effective. Well, that's what I mean is that they, the movie, like the girl, the other girls make fun of her. Yeah. But it it still takes her experience really seriously when she yeah. goes back into that garage and finds her boyfriend with, and she reaches out to him and his head just falls off. Yeah. And she's also the one that gets the death where the drill is coming through his legs and everything too. Yeah. yeah. So like it's very specifically. And they take the, the, even like the relationship with the girls seriously too because there's like that kind of uh, passive aggressive scene where, where she goes in to ask if she can like go with her boyfriend and then uh, she says something like uh, you don't need my permission Diane but you, you can tell that there's some <laughs> some friction there you know uh, and that I that I enjoyed too like they they really do elaborate on the relationships more than I thought they would yeah I mean we're supposed to be gossiping about boys and eating lollipops like right, exactly. you're ditching us to go <laughs> exactly. have sex in the car all yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think I think that both of these movies really do take the violence very seriously, which is um, kind of like the reason that they kind of work. Yeah. Because if they didn't, uh, I would feel like you would just kind of laugh these off a little bit. Definitely. But I feel yeah. like that mix of you have a little bit of that comic energy, it kind of disarms you a little bit for yeah. them watching something as horrifying as it gets. I mean, Willow it makes also you pointed connect out with the characters <laughs> easily too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Willow pointed out in her article, and it was a note that I took too, which is why I because I, I took this note and then I read her article and she had the same note. Uh, that shot where the killer comes in through the window is one of the scariest things that I actually have seen this year. Yeah. Cause he, cause the drill enters the frame first and it's in the background and, uh, you know, credit to, um, Holden Jones who really shoots this well, the drill starts sneaking in as they're, you know, they're talking, they're scared. They're talking about, I think calling someone or something, or that's after they cut the phone line. They're talking about like what they're going to do. And he just slowly walks in through the window, like one leg at a time. He's walking kind of like inhumanly. Uh, yeah. Apparently, an interview with the actor, he said that he modeled his movements after a peacock. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. Oh, my God. Kind of a unique decision. But yeah. it, it's really creepy. It worked and it, out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's very similar to the way that Bob moves in Twin Peaks. Now, Jamie, I know you oh, haven't okay. seen Twin Peaks. But, Jordan, have you seen Twin Peaks? Yeah. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, so like you know, you know the shot where he come, the really famous shot from Twin Peaks where he Bob comes over over top of the couch, towards um, crap. I'm already blanking on the main girl's name already. <laughs> um, but you know the shot that I'm talking about. It's the really famous yeah. one where because uh, and Bob is supposed to be sort of like this almost cosmic uh, allegory for abuse and sexual violence and stuff like that in in the yeah. series. Um, and she kind of replicates that and it was like 10 years before David Lynch did it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, so here's the visual language for that scene happening right 
here. Yeah. Um, and as he just gets closer and closer, it's so freaking creepy. And then that's when he, that's when they actually, that's when the real violence of, yeah. they, they have to start fighting back because he's made his way um, inside. Inside. Um, it also helps that he's doing like the, I'm pretty sure is, he's, he's rocking the Canadian tuxedo, right? He's got the double denim thing going on. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes he does. Yes. He, when you say Canadian tuxedo, I completely forgot what that was. And now that's amazing. Yes, yeah. That's exactly what he's rocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's, I, I described it as, uh, Abel Ferrer is the driller killer for je- for denim jacket girls. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's what the film ultimately Accurate. felt like to me. And, and, and the fact that, I mean, like there's stuff, there's comparison points for this, for like films that I already love. I mean, things like yeah. Twin Peaks, but also it's very clear that Brian De Palma straight up stole this for body double. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause they I've, have, I haven't seen body double. Should I? Yeah, there's this great shot where someone is gets drilled actually uh, through, and they're on the second floor, and you see the the drill go through the ceiling from a character beneath, beneath. the floor, and, and the blood uh, starts pouring. Yeah, through and the, the ceiling blood starts and going through, and it's very reminiscent of what we've a bunch of kills that we've seen in this in this movie. So yeah, but specifically the shot of the drill going through his legs, like that was ripped, and the the shot that they oh, include on right. the poster and everything, yeah, like that. Uh, De Palma straight up just stole the idea of the drill as that penetrating tool in that sequence as well. Yeah, and I mean even then he has a guy. A, a white guy who's like dressed up as like a Native American caricature drilling yeah. people and stuff. The movie's insane. <laughs> Body Double's kind of an insane movie just in in general. It's it's like this. We- it's like Vertigo made by uh, like the, the sleaziest personal line. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and clearly a guy whose reference points are things like Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. Wow, you're really hyping this up. I need to watch this Body Double. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. We covered it on the show, actually. Yeah, we 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 really liked that one, I, even though it's kind of like a more disrespected De Palma one. I think. Oh because, yeah, it's just because it's so gross. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's disgusting. <laughs> Speaking. So of- the second one. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say we are gonna we'll get, enter. Yeah. I think we we do the reductive rating round here, which for you, Jordan, is. Uh, we remove all the words, all the nuance, and we reduce the number, the movie between a number between one and five. But it's also become like closing statements. So if you have anything, we didn't end up hitting a line or a scene or anything like that. You can do it here. But for me, Slumber Party Massacre, the first one here, absolute solid four uh, yeah. for, for me. For every reason that we basically already went over, I don't think we need to do it all again. But it's just like very, very vicious kills and very effective horror film, uh, directing from yeah. from from A.B. Holden Jones yeah. um, mixed in with like this weird comic manic uh, energy sometimes that gets into the film. One of my favorite things I wanted to bring up before I, I finished was one of my absolute favorite shots in the film. And it's also a joke and it's also so gross that it almost it's it's still scary, even though it's a joke. It's because it's physical comedy when uh, Valerie and Courtney, the sisters, get to the place mm-hmm. and they're looking around for all the girls and they can't find them. And uh, Courtney wants to go over and be part of the party because she wants to be part of the cool girl. She wants right. to drink alcohol. She goes to the fridge. She opens the fridge up. Oh, yeah. A body That's of a one of the girls. shot. Slides oh, out, my God. Sl- yes. It slides out of the shot. fridge. But Courtney doesn't see it. She's still talking to Valerie, who's right. like, hey, don't you grab that and beer in there. Twice. And so she's like, fine. So she closes it. And then she's yeah. like, do you know what? I'm going to open it again. And it comes out again. And then she closes it again. And it, it's, it's a third time that yeah. she comes back. Then to it. she and finally sees the, the body full out collapses. And, and, and by the way, that actress really did that. She just 
sucked it up and sat in that fridge. Wow. Like there was nothing else there. Yeah, because I was she just say, that effect around. looked amazing. And then also, I love they even add a bit of comedy to it too. Like I mean, I guess there is already a some satire elements to that that scene and its tone. But then when the older sister goes back to see what she's screaming at, then she sees the body and yep. then does a scream and then runs. It's very like. It is very comedic. It's 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 funny, but also horrifying. Yeah, like that that stuff's really good. And same with um, Amy I, Holden I'm Jones. I forgot to even mention that. Well, part, yeah, because I was, I was just thinking a couple like... a couple effective horror scenes. Also, the one where she um, does the cross cutting between Valerie watching the TV and the guy being slaughtered on her lawn out front. Yes, and it, and it cuts between her watching the horror movie where someone's being stabbed, and it actually cuts between them so fast and copies the visual language from from what she's watching that like it'll be the t- guy on TV bringing the knife down and then it'll be a yeah. shot of like the kid being stabbed outside and, and it cuts between them so fast that you just combine the two. And then I love the cherry on top which is after like the both killings within the the show and then within the real reality death uh, happens they they do the newspaper scroll where it like goes <laughs> up in the thing and they're like the killer strikes again. So they just have to almost like you know uh and ended on a, a comedic note a little bit, even though what you watched was was pretty horrific and well done. Yeah, it's 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 great. I I'm gonna give it a four as well. Uh, just I I was going into it thinking it was gonna just be like pure satire in a way. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised to see that the horror elements when when she goes for them are really well done and well executed. So uh, so yeah, I'll give it a solid four. Solid. For you, Jordan. Uh, yeah, I also give it a four. I'm not usually, I'm not a rating person, but yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yep. That works. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. Because I mean, it is one of the, it's, it's an interesting thing where I like my partner and a lot of my friends don't watch slashers, but this movie and the one that we're about to talk about were the ones that kind of got them to (laughs) really look into them. And they also like cause people to question whether or not these are inherently misogynist movies, which I don't think that they are. So yeah, I think that it's a really, really under discussed film in terms of Canon and in terms of programming. And I really hope that that changes pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it, It would be totally worth it just to get an audience of people reacting to the final killer's castration via fireplace poker where they snap his drill in half and he's like (laughs) just devastated yeah and then they amazing scene they they (laughs) shove him into the pool while he basically gets to do the the scream that usually is reserved for the uh female victims yeah yeah Yeah, and then obviously he's still got to come back and still inflict more trauma which by the way will segue us perfectly into slumber party massacre uh two which really does just tackle like the, the whole thing, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you just sees coming back. Yeah. <laughs> In more ways than one. It's just uh, reliving the trauma of the literal events of Slumber Party Massacre. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's great. That's what we're going to be talking about next. Coming up. Sweet. Slumber Party Massacre 2. If you go, don't go all the way. Oh, God, anybody got any tranks?
All right, we are back, and we are talking Slumber Party Massacre 2. Uh, five years after the original Slumber Party Massacre 1987, it is obviously another slasher film in this franchise, or I guess this trilogy of films, and this one written and directed by uh, a different woman uh, by the name of Deborah Brock, but still produced by Roger Corman. Obviously, it is uh, loosely a sequel to Slumber Party Massacre. It, I, it, technically, it does have direct uh, continuity with the fact that yeah. it is supposed to follow Courtney, who uh, you might remember from Slumber Party Massacre is the girl who opens the fridge and finds the corpse in the fridge. Um, she is Valerie, the main character from the first film's younger sister, and she is living with the trauma of uh, finding all of those young girls' bodies all massacred to pieces. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was that's something basically I, the premise. That's just kind yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's her psychological of, experience of that. It's kind of if that girl from Clerks, like if we made another movie about her, like after she fucked that dead guy. <laughs> 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 Which I would love that movie. I know that Kevin Smith would never make it. <laughs> Kevin, what are you doing? We'll get a we'll get a Kickstarter yeah, on, going. Um, Deborah Brock. Also, interestingly, I looked at her filmography to see if she did any other movies uh, related to music because this is a music heavy film, and she did the the Rock and Roll High School um, sequel, Rock and Roll High School Forever. <laughs> awesome. Have you seen that by chance? No, I, I saw the first one, of course, and I just thought the first one is really crazy. They destroy that school, so I don't know how they could talk the second one. Um, That's awesome. But yes, I showed Slumber Party Massacre 2 par- as part of my lineup of birthday movies for my 27th birthday this year. Like I, I first did Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which is also one of my faves. Also something we <laughs> have to hit up on this show at some point. For sure. Oh, yeah. No, I will come back to talk about Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie so much. Um, I, so that and then this one. And Slumber Party Massacre 2... I showed it to all of my friends who are not horror people. I have never like gotten a better reaction for showing a movie at my home. Like it was like a thing where like if people left the room, they wanted me to pause it cause they didn't want to miss anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, also somehow, so this killer, this time it's a driller killer, but it's like a rockabilly driller killer. Yes, and, it is. And he's got like the drill on the end of his guitar. And it was great because we were obsessively looking at him, trying to figure out what he looks like, and everyone at my party decided to start calling him Pete Wentz. So now I think of him <laughs> as Pete Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I love how this movie, like, because we were talking about how the last movie ended, like, on the trauma, essentially, right? And then it yeah. cuts the credits. And I like how they took that and just made this whole movie that, basically. Because like even from the very beginning, we have Courtney's character having these really you know aggressive and violent dreams about the killer. Or, or yeah, these least, vivid premonitions. Yeah, of things and also to come. I guess flashbacks too. I think doesn't. She? Yeah, in, yeah. In, in the first one, it's actual imagery from the first Slumber Party Massacre right. film. Right. Um, how she found all these corpses, and, and it's done in that kind of like fractured editing style we briefly mentioned of like that sequence where it's cutting between the TV and the murder at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her, her dreams have this very almost like a dreamy abstract quality to yeah. them that it show gets like very uh, inception. Yeah. Yeah. Bubbling <laughs> blood and like these, 
fisheye lens shots of like a neon lit yeah. hallway. And like multiple times, I think she she wakes up like twice. You know, like yeah. she has dreams within <laughs> dreams, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's Courtney living with the lingering trauma of the violence of the, of the first film, and for some reason that has taken shape in a rockabilly Freddy Krueger, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is just for some reason he's really stoked to like have a hit song and also take out like this wannabe MTV girl group with all their like pastel aesthetics and like. Uh, this great is amazing. Garage jamming and yeah. like <laughs> this. Okay, so number one, this girl group, amazing. I wish there was an accompanying album. I love them. Sure. They're so, they're the most extra, the most like <laughs> rock and roll dudes. Yeah. Like it's like, what if the Runaways had a lot of fun? <laughs> yeah, and like I love uh, the cuts to to when they'll, they'll they'll have little moments in the song where you know like I think the blonde drummer she has like a drum roll part. And it'll close up on her face, and she seems so happy just hitting that snare like <laughs> over and over again. There's just such like an upbeat attitude to every time they uh, are together, and every time that they're creating music or just performing it. It's uh, they're going to be just famous fun to watch. They're going to be movie stars. Exactly. And then I think it's I think it's the same. I can't remember the the drummer's name. Do you know the the name, Jordan? Uh, no, I don't know the drummer's okay. name. But I know that she's like, she, she. I found every character to have these like uh, just really fun quirks that you could attach to. Like the, the drummer was trying to write a hit song at one point. So you see her on the couch like writing these like, you know, kind of cutesy lyrics. And it's, it's I don't know, there's just a, a good personality to it. It's very fun and upbeat when it's, actually it is kind of fun and upbeat even when the killing is happening. Well, I was going to say, well, in a well sense. the thing is that, like, this killer is, like, performing for them as he kills them, which right. I think is really <laughs> fantastic. Oh, and yeah. it's almost like the entire movie moves into a dreamlike space and he's, he's performing, he's killing, he's, like, yeah. narrating as he stalks them. And it's so. <laughs> It, it's so transformative. Like yeah. the first time I saw it, I was I was in awe because I was kind of just like, if I was going to be murdered in a movie <laughs> like this, I yeah. would want to this be murdered by him. <laughs> this is yeah, I want the guy. I want to hear that musical number and then stab with that guitar trill because that's the way to go. Baby. He earns that kill for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You almost you're not even mad. You know, you're like, damn, that was a. That was a good number. I was like, that is that is a, a, a way more understandable like perversion to have <laughs> yeah. than whatever the first guy was whatever doing. Whatever the first guy was doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's I also love that he only talks in like old 60s and 70s rock and roll lyrics, like a lot of the time anyway. <laughs> yeah. He has a couple moments where he just talks to them, but a lot of the time he's he's saying stuff like, I just can't get no satisfaction and stuff like that uh, and it's oh man so it makes my he's rock and roll so, heart so happy <laughs> he, he's so he's so amazing and like yes. and he's like, nothing else apparently unless i'm mistaken no yeah there. he did nothing else he i was, couldn't believe he, it he i'm like the driller this guy killer is, this guy's electric it. like i was like oh my god this guy is a star. He's yeah. really, really good. Real. Um, and the way that he intrudes on them, like I really love the setting. Like the house, the house is about to be sold, which I think that that's it, like a good tidbit because it's like you're about to sell this house and you're having a slumber party. Of course, you're gonna trash this house, and now <laughs> yeah. they're getting like 
I'm stalked by a guy, but I also, I love the part, like the little stuff, like when there's a spill and then they're trying to figure out the best way to get the spill out of the carpet. Just, yeah. That's so good. Cause it's like, once again, like, it's not just like a slumber, like a slumber party as like a setting, like the, like what they're doing makes sense. Like they're, yeah. they're ridiculous in a lot of ways, but they're having a real slumber party. They're having real conversations and all of the girls like have their own personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I really appreciated about this one in comparison to the first was that the, the structure of it is that the first kill, like the first on screen kill, that's not a dream. Mm hmm. Right. is in like the last 15 minutes of the movie. Like yeah. it, it takes forever to get there, but you don't actually notice it because you're no. having fun as just like this, like really ridiculous, like teen sex comedy basically. Yeah. And it's, it's punctuated by these, these nightmare sequences that she's having that are kind of like ripping through the fabric of the sex comedy because like, obviously, you know, like there's a bit, for example, where she goes to like, they're having a barbecue by the pool. She goes to eat the burger and there's just a severed hand <laughs> instead of a burger. And she gets this iconic delivery of this line where she's just like, my burger is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the the one guy gets this funny line after too, where he's like, "Well, you did put too much ketchup on it," <laughs> because after like before that, it just works so well because before we see all this blood and this severed hand on the burger. Speaking of which, that TJ character, uh, at first I have to say, and he is like an, he's supposed to be a very annoying, obnoxious character, but at first I was just pretty much purely annoyed by him but as the movie goes i almost loved how obnoxious he was i don't know about you but some of his his really really annoying jokes started to actually land for me as it went on because it seems so over the top just with how much of an asshole he was well i i, I really liked when they started performing for them in the condo oh yeah and he he just got so into it he was so psyched like yeah. he became like their hype man for like yeah. a second yeah uh, but I, yeah, I got to say, like, the hanging out in this is the majority of it. And it's like them kind of like uh, at one point they're drinking champagne and eating cheese whiz out of the aerosol can or whatever yep. it is. <laughs> Classy moves. Uh, and I mean, even even one thing, too, that's there's there's a, a bit of a subplot about a girl getting a pimple that she's not psyched about. Ooh, and then yeah, that, that, turns that turns into, into a something. horror sequence where it's a giant zit and it's like popping just i was like shocked at that everywhere because that was like like before it was th that was more of like a gross out thing horror yeah. right whereas everything else in these movies is pretty much just the the traditional slasher horror kind of stuff like you know a, uh someone being stabbed or or whatever the case is decapitated but to w watch this pulsating pimple just grow and grow <laughs> oh and my grow god until, that, until the makeup in that yeah. is so amazing it's incredible i couldn't even believe it and then it just pops all over courtney <laughs> and you're like i was i was legitimately courtney's just out. having bad vibes the whole time like everyone's yeah, just having a good having time fun. like a lot of the time the girls are just like there's one part that i was amazed where it's just it's a minute and a half and it's just the girls driving and singing along to the radio nothing yeah. else happens in the scene they're just singing yeah, to the radio for like happily. a minute and a half just stoked <laughs> having a great time and then courtney just keeps having that infected by the reality of like the last time something like this happened all of those girls were were butchered and by the time you reach the kind of like the end of the film, you don't really actually know if any of this happened or that, not. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that we watched like and most of the time with that kind of twist where it was like, uh, 
it was all a dream. It, you know, she's, she's actually in a mental hospital, that kind of thing or whatever. It usually doesn't work, but for some reason, I think with the setup from the first one, and then this one really slowly bringing that to you, because you it, it's only revealed that he kind of comes into reality out of their dream in the last like 20 minutes or something well yeah like because that. nobody because no one is seeing anything that she is seeing she's seeing all these horrible things like the like like the zit like the burger uh, at one point she's just attacked by a raw chicken yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many little amazing things that i'm forgetting about uh which actually reminded me of the bit from dead heat where they reanimate the oh, uh, absolutely the chinese food restaurant yeah. <laughs> a little bit for a second there first the giant like cow or whatever it is uh and then she keeps she has this fantasy about like this sort of like this shirtless football dude <laughs> who yeah. uh she's invited to come over and hang out with them but he keeps every time she keeps getting romantic with him he immediately turns into the rockabilly right. freddy krueger who by the way they intentionally are at one point they they wanted to have them played by the same actor so uh, that it would just oh like change his outfit God. that would have been really yeah cool. so that he but i i don't know if the guy just couldn't do like the uh you know, dancing like, and all that stuff. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it I, does I, take like a charisma for sure. Like that, like that guy's moves are pretty smooth. With I guess neither guy boots. could do both parts. So they were kind of <laughs> like, I guess we got to pick one, but that was yeah. the idea was that they were going to have like this girl, her, you know, this romantic image of this guy that she's interested in. And then all of a sudden it transitions into just this, <laughs> Again, a, a rockabilly yeah. murderer. Yep, he's he's leather clad. He break dances sometimes because yeah. he's getting so oh. stoked. Yeah, and I love his. He ahead. has such great moves. He's so talented. <laughs> he becomes just like the centerpiece. But I also feel like the way that he ki- stalks and kills them at the end, and the whole chase and everything, feels like a seduction. It's like he's like trying to mm, yeah. like instead of the. It's like he. It's like romancing them. <laughs> yeah, because he even plays with them a little bit, right? Like he doesn't just just kill them. He he chases them. He appears out of nowhere with a cigarette and just says something smooth and then lets them run away again. Like you can tell that he's completely in control when he yeah. gets into the reality. Well, and, and also, you know, a lot of the songs that he's singing, I wouldn't go as far as say that they're love songs, but they are <laughs> songs about like expressing his feelings yeah. and stuff like that. I also love how she f- films it like uh, like an MTV music video when yeah. he starts his performance <laughs> before the before the kill. Everything changes like the camera angles are now different. And the lighting changes to, like, these pinks and greens. Well, yeah, because before that scene, it's just a lot of him kind of, like, jumping out and, like, doing a quick shred, shred saying yeah. a funny line. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, something scary happens. Right. And, like, that's kind of it. And, I mean, it, it's interesting. They do kind of up the pastel colors in general and stuff like this. Yeah. So yeah. that it kind of has a whole MTV vibe for, like, a lot of the film. But that musical number yeah, is the sequence. Yeah. Where he's just, like... He, he straight up addresses the camera and he's like, now it's time to, I forget what exactly what he says. It's like, now it's time to get to work or something like that. Yeah. Now's the fun part or something. Yeah, and that's when something. he puts the sunglasses on, he lights the cigarette, he jumps into the song and it's, it's a full out, like three minute long sequence of him performing this song. Yeah. And at the end of the song, he does uh, to, to start the drill. Cause he actually has to start the drill with the guitar, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then he goes, let's buzz <laughs> and, then, and then starts <laughs> trilling <laughs> oh man it's just it's endless 
it's endless fun for such a but dramatic it's awesome too because in the same way that the first one did how it has that sense of like it has this comic energy to it yeah but it never also lets you forget the horror of it because while he's doing these dance moves and you know he's grooving around he's thrusting his hips he's he's, he's got like an elvis thing going on as yeah, he's like moving bit. through the halls for sure and then but it, it's shots of him doing that and then it's this really distorted fisheye lens looking at her screaming trying to pull the door open with the drill kind of like in the foreground of the shot going like back and forth yeah. and stuff like this like a pov shot from his perspective mm-hmm. and it's just really creepy like like she's not laughing we're laughing as audience members because it's so ridiculous but like all of the girls are just in a normal slasher film to them during that sequence yeah which yeah. is like a really good touch it actually makes it more effective especially when he puts the drill through people and i found the the gore effects of the drill going through people in this one were even crazier yeah like the amount of chunks show a, so, a, like a full body with the drill inside and the it's drill's like just spinning. even bigger yeah yeah that too it's it's you you thought the first one was huge now we have a full guitar <laughs> it's just it's just craziness yeah i also love the uh the sequence uh, and it's actually what results in them not being saved by the police, which is <laughs> when the cops come because they think, uh, I think it was Sally, uh, she is killed or she disappears. So they think that something's happening, especially because uh, Courtney is freaking out and seeing these visions and whatever. And the, the scene with the cop is pretty, pretty funny. Like, and they break the fourth wall with that, too. Like she films it like the cop is almost sternly talking to you, the <laughs> audience member. And it just adds a bit of a, a comedic effect. It's really, it's really good. And then later on, they try to call the cops, and because of that, that, that part, they're just like, she "No, we're not coming." Whatever. Yeah. yeah, we're just not going to show up. Are so useless in this movie. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm trying to. It's so interesting. I love how slasher movies um, point out how useless cops are. This and Black <laughs> Christmas, which I just oh, love yeah. Black Christmas. I'm going to keep talking about it. Yeah, we're, but, we're um, actually we actually programmed Black Christmas to play at our theater next month for yeah, our Christmas uh, Retromania, so we're stoked to play it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's weird cops in this movie where (laughs) these women are they call and they're terrified and the cops are just like, this must be a joke. And maybe it's just because I was very young in the 90s, but I never could understand why anyone would call the cops as a joke. Like, it's so weird. (laughs) I just... I just thought maybe maybe it's like white culture. Do white people do that? I could not. No, imagine. I can't even think of a single time I've ever thought. You know what? It's, it's Thursday night. I'm going to crack a cold one you know open what? with my homies, and we're going to call the cops. I can't believe I get to tell this brief story. But when I was younger, uh, me and my cousin were at a payphone at a at a hockey arena, and they came. Uh, two cops came up to us and were like, "Were you boys calling the cops?" Like as a as a prank, so apparent not we weren't, but apparently Someone some did. kids in the hockey arena <laughs> were calling the police and just hanging up and then running away, and we happened to be at the payphone at the time, <laughs> so it was a scary moment at the time. But, but yeah, I just I can't believe that that just popped up. Amazing. <laughs> so maybe it is in the culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I yeah. mean the, the the big finale gets just super crazy because again. Th- her nightmare dream sequences that she's been having through the whole film just all of a sudden infect the entire movie. And one, what once was like a bunch of people just kind of like having 
fun mm-hmm. uh, very quickly becomes to sort of us having fun while the, <laughs> the killer having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the killer really gets to have the most fun in this movie for sure. I did think it was funny because uh, the bit where they do the gratuitous nudity in this one mm-hmm. is so cartoonish. Like it's even more so than the first uh, and one. I love and the characters even they, comment on it. They were they, like, they start doing that pillow fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the one guy's and like, even I didn't, take, I didn't just, know girls actually did this. <laughs> that was, I loved that line because it was just such a nod to be like, this is obviously, you know, satirical. Well, yeah, and then the other guy's great. like, I don't think they do. We're I in think, heaven. Yeah, I think we died and went to heaven. <laughs> I, I just love this idea. Like, I maybe it's just because I have big boobs. This idea of just like take leisurely taking off your bra <laughs> to partake in an activity and then putting it back on. <laughs> I think at one point, two of them even start snapping their bras at each other. <laughs> like they're pillow fighting with their bras instead. <laughs> it oh, is man. the wildest thing. I could not imagine. Like I kept on wondering, <laughs> are their bras okay? Where are their bras? <laughs> How are they comfortable like this? Are they going to make out? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so many questions. No, not and, and and that's shortly after the cheese whiz and champagne. Yeah. So you're kind of like, shortly. what kind of party is this all of? This is the weirdest party I've ever seen. Yeah. And then the neighbor just like, you be easy on that Maui wowie. Yeah. <laughs> I also like too that there when one of the couples dies and the neighbor hears it, he's just like, you damn kids, because it just sounds Holy. like the sex noises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, also there's the bit where she's reading the dirty novel, which I thought was super fucking funny. Oh yeah. Because What's it, what, do you remember the title of it? Oh no, I can't. I don't I, think I wrote it down. I can't remember. It was very funny. Oh, it, it was hot, wet and wild. <laughs> yeah, right. Was the name, which is just, come on. But at one point the guy's reading it and he has, he reads the line from it. His pulsating tool drove deep into her confines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which again. Is that when he's trying to turn on his girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, how about now? Are you ready? You ready to go now? <laughs> now? <laughs> no, instead, that's Does when they that, that's when they do the, uh, the the practice for for MTV because that's where they're that's where they're headed. And that's also right oh, before right. the uh, right. the offending bird, the chicken, uh, starts attacking her from <laughs> outside the fridge. It's also where they replicate the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street bit in the bathtub, but instead of having the hand come out, it's just blood just starts flowing oh, through the tub and it kind of comes yeah. out. That leads into that was the, really great. I like that a lot i miss when i watch these movies i think about in a macro sense how much i miss fun slasher movies and i thought about it when i saw the new halloween which i do not like um (laughs) we're fans (laughs) well it's just like the new halloween the big thing is like it's like it's about trauma and like dealing with trauma and that's really interesting and i will say the final stretch of the new halloween is is great but it's the only part of the movie that i like i like the idea of like dealing with trauma in a way that does not have to be this like huge like constantly somber affair like i feel that because trauma is a thing that like it intrudes on your daily life and of course it shows up when you're trying to have fun so i guess the thing about like somber party massacre it's like it's like you're alone you're alone with your friends you're not with your family and you're kind of like alone with your thoughts and who you are and of course that's the time when 
whatever's really bothering you is going to come get you kind of like when you're like young and you go to the sleepover and you're worried that you're going to pee your pants. It's kind of like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just, just instead it's like a a leather clad rockabilly slasher guy. Yeah. Every time you just, he, you know, you're, you're about to start making out with someone and he's just like, what's up? Let's, let's rock. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have a good time. Let's have our own good time. Uh, I did think it was funny that the the TJ guy to me he just always sounded like a like a Bill and Ted character. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's why I eventually started to. I didn't like his character because he's supposed to be obnoxious, but as he goes, it's like his his just over the top, rude, <laughs> like just loudmouth personality yeah. really fit with with as like what the film was doing. So so it ended up being really effective. For yeah, me. and I I like what Jordan's saying there about this idea of like it just it's still being taking trauma seriously, but not in like just this very serious somber all the time. Yeah, yeah. well, and it, I I think it really works effectively, like in the scene where. Um, she is, the guy finally comes over, she's in her room with him, um, and, uh, when the killer takes his place and then also kills him, I think. Yeah. Because he, he drills. That's where the film really just goes, what is this? uh, He drills through his chest and there's chunks getting all over the drill from his chest. And then he also rips the guy's arm off and like, you can see like the tendons like ripping and like it ripping like messily and stuff like that. And then he takes it and he throws the, like this dismembered arm onto her birthday cake because it's her birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And just that shot of just like this, like this dismembered arm, it's blood everywhere. And then there's like this turquoise, like pastel looking cake. That's so nice. And they're trying to have a good time celebrating her birthday. And then that arm just like smashes right on top of it. Like, you can't get more overt than, like, you trying to have a good time and it's coming up at a, and your traumas are hitting you at very inconvenient moments. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I can't believe how good this film is. I really... And it's underrated as hell. Yeah, people I, don't seem to like it that much. No, I was surprised. I mean, there's still, like, on Letterboxd, it was, like, between the, the two and the three kind of thing. But I just... It's so much fun. I'm just shocked. I'm very, I'm very, it's very surprised. It's so good. It's yeah. so well crafted. It's so fun, well yep. paced. Like, it's the kind of thing. Like, I remember when going to see a new horror movie was an event, and like this would be an event instead of yeah. just like a I don't know which creepy child is gonna do this in this movie today. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this sure. is like a full a full experience where all of the characters. Like they actually mean something to the plot. It's all part of the like the full story. I love how taut these movies are because they're both like both the first and the second one are both like 75 minutes. And like this one is like double the budget of the other one, but it's still like a low budget and everything is utilized. There's no like dead air. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Well, yeah, because that stretch where he's ch- when he it kicks it off with the musical number again, a musical number in a slasher, just insane. But <laughs> yeah. then that whole sequence where he's chasing them around and they're like running on the rooftops. One of my favorite shot in the entire movie on the rooftop, like it's just that's my favorite shot in the style. entire movie where they think that they've kind of like escaped him. They're running from one roof to the other, and it's it holds on this wide shot. And as they jump from one roof to the other, their bodies were blocking him on the roof in the background. And then he starts laughing maniacally and just shredding as he's smoking a cigarette too like it's just it's such a cool image i I love this guy like it just it absolutely doesn't make any sense which is kind of like why it 
it it really works and which really sends home like the actual final images of the film where again she thinks that that was all a nightmare she wakes up and she's back with the boyfriend where she was the uh, before like uh he killed her and threw the arm on the birthday cake and everything like that and then he comes out of that and infects that dream and then she's in a mental hospital and then this is the craziest part when she's in the mental hospital yeah she's imagining it and then the drill starts powering through the floor right. of the hospital and then she screams and it just ends so yeah. for me it implied like, that she's gonna just constantly wake up in this nightmare six layers for the rest of, of her life <laughs> and i'm just like that's fucking horrifying i can't believe they pulled this this ending off and it really works just because before that they have him kind of just appear a lot of the time you know like it yeah his physical space makes no sense like he's on the roof and then all of a sudden he's right beside them and then all of a sudden he's behind them and and so it's obvious that that i think at a certain point they're just kind of giving you the answer where they're like yeah this is kind of a dream within a dream within a dream and she's just living through trauma constantly and she can't escape right it It reminded me a lot of the thing that de palma does near the end of carrie Okay, where they yeah. where they have this like picture perfect thing where the girl goes up to Carrie's where the where Carrie has pulled the house For down sure. and she's gonna go drop the flowers off yeah and then Carrie's arm reaches out of it and grabs her and the girl is in her bed screaming right and it was that same thing we said where it was just like that trauma it's just it's everlasting it's there you know yeah so he, that's the note that they kind of leave you on and then this even goes a step further by making even her waking up is still horrible. Like yeah. she does like three or four different wake ups basically. Yeah, yeah. And in each one, the rockabilly guy is there with his drill ready to start. Uh, and what's drilling beautiful through is people. I think the song that they go into is his song too, like for the credits. So it's like, he's still, you know, kind of in the space. He's still taking over the film. And then after this was the best, I couldn't even believe I, I ended up reading it because oh, okay. it's at the very end, you know, the uh, the warnings when they give like the distribution warnings and yeah. copyright warnings, uh, the warning at the end of it says um, you'll get severe civil and criminal prosecution as well as a midnight visit from the driller killer. And I'm like, that's just that's a cherry on top right there. That's amazing that they just threw that in there. And you you'd have to go to the very end of the credits yeah, to read it. That. It's a complete just like uh, it's a little Easter egg. And I thought that was awesome. So, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Yes. I mean, pivoting towards the reductive rating round, I this one gets an even higher four for me. I like this one yeah. more. This one was even even I'm pretty close, close to me. Five. I mean, it was my first watch on it. I think if I watch it again and I watch it, I feel like if I watch this in a theater with people, yeah. that would be like the moment where I'm like, all right, <laughs> yeah. this is the this is the slasher at that yeah, point for sure because it is a really really good time, mm-hmm. um, especially just because again. normally you would think it's a cop-out to just be like is it all real is it but it it, it doesn't it pisses me off (laughs) it doesn't feel that way because it feels like it still takes all of it seriously yeah exactly Um, and even though you know she is having these nightmares about certain things it's still really grotesque like it's still impactful like even the bit with the burger i still found that gross even though it's (laughs) like like i could sit there and go yeah that's probably not what's actually there yeah um but it almost doesn't matter because it's just trying to capture the feeling of like that is what it feels like to hold that trauma with you right right? so it doesn't matter like like it's it's 
her brain is making it into something tangible and then mm. it becomes something tangible for like everyone else, obviously as the film pivots there. And I do think it's just super bizarre that the guy is just, he's, he's got good vibes. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> yeah. if, like if he wasn't like, I'd invite him to my party. If he wasn't, yeah, if I he would promise a... not to drill through people's <laughs> yeah, chests, like, you know, I'll have a beer with you. Just don't kill anybody. <laughs> you know, he's talking about how he can't stop. He's singing like singing about how he can't stop loving the girl. Meanwhile, he pushes her off the uh the <laughs> yeah. like four story building that they're on or whatever she crashed to the bottom um and that's the part also where he says i just can't get no satisfaction <laughs> and what's the other song oh he gets come on baby light my fire yeah that's what he says when she right when him she's on about fire. to set him on fire yeah it's just <laughs> this is so it's so cartoony but in such a like lovely way like i was yeah. actually thinking about while you were describing it um barbara streisand and what's up doc <laughs> i've never seen that <laughs> I haven't either, actually. Wait, what? Okay, <laughs> you two need to immediately watch What's Up, Doc. It's basically like, it what, what if Bugs Bunny, but played by Barbara Streisand? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm definitely and down. <laughs> it is one of the, like, the funniest movies that I've ever seen. And it's because of how precise all of the jokes are and all of the visual gags. And because... Barbara Streisand really, really goes for it. And this guy really, really goes for it. And even while he's just like murdering, I'm just like, wow. I'm just enthralled by him. That's awesome. <laughs> what a performance. Bunch of slapstick going on. It's yeah, a good it's, time. It's so good. Yeah, I'm also going to give it uh, the four for now. But I, I could see this baby get to the five. Honestly, I couldn't believe just how much fun I was having and where it goes. I was just expecting... You know, Slumber Party Massacre 2 to be the same as the first one, but just maybe with a, a different kind of killer. I didn't expect all these, like, you know, bringing the psychology from the first one into this one and all that. So, yeah, it was it was great. I, I loved every minute. So we'll see. Might get to the five. For you, Jordan. Five. Yeah. Nice. There we go. <laughs> I had to get it at least once. <laughs> well, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I have this movie at home. I watch it all the time. It's just like a very calming experience for me. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. <laughs> no, I mean, it seems like a great hangout vibe movie. I mean, yeah, I, for I, real. I wouldn't have picked it as a, a birthday film, but it actually does make sense in that context, especially also because she is celebrating a birthday, too. The whole reason they go is because it's her birthday, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome that you show it to people in that way. That's how I'm going to be showing it to people now, too. So. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to show this to people. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week. That was Slumber Party Massacre and Slumber Party Massacre 2. Jordane, thanks so much for bringing these films with yes, you. Yes, thank you. Uh, if you've got anything to plug, this is the place to do it. Um, I don't know if I do. I mean, of course, listen to the Bad Romance podcast. We're like... 115 episodes in so many so many bad romances so (laughs) many sometimes we have guests sometimes we don't sometimes we're drunk sometimes we're not um (laughs) so many different ones the uh the drop dead fred one is the one that got a write-up for vulture so listen to that one i guess (laughs) for sure um we also did one on this pretty recent bad rom-com called the test which is made by the same guy who made that like laquisha movie that everybody was like showing the trailer around for. oh god okay 
The one where he like impersonates a black woman's voice on the radio. Right. <laughs> the white and then, guy does. Yeah. That, and, then, yes. and, and then he gets like uh, he gets hired because of that is somehow. That new? Yeah, it's yeah, like a new yeah. movie that people oh. were like ripping on when the trailer came out because they were like, wow. <laughs> wow. That, yeah, yes. it seems pretty risque. <laughs> but that, that guy made a romantic movie about basically testing his fiance for her loyalty with like increasingly ridiculous tests. Yeah. And that episode really broke us. So. <laughs> I love um, shit like that. Oh my God. Awesome. And I mean, you can I read my writing. Stuff. Online, you can find me on Muckrack. You can find me on Twitter at J O U R D A Y E N, um, where I'm usually talking shit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can recommend fi- fi- following Jordane on Twitter. She has a lot of great things to say, and some people yell at her for it. So she can use the support fun. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I do stand-up comedy, so if you're in New oh, York sweet. City, come see me sometime. I, w- I would love to do that. <laughs> I, w- I hope I can one day, honestly. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, for, for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time with a bonus episode for you guys over on Patreon. Uh, I mean, we're getting a little late to it now, but uh, because of, obviously... Scorsese, The Irishman, things of this nature. We realize we have not even done a single Scorsese film on the podcast. And Jamie <laughs> we, and I... We did do Taxi Driver. Oh, we did do Taxi yeah. Driver. That's right. Anya yeah. brought that on. Like a lot. That was like over a that year was, ago I now. think it was wow. like the first 10 episodes or wow, something. crazy. Um, but Jamie and I had the chance to see Goodfellas on a 35 millimeter print. Yes, we did. So because of that, we were like, well, we have, we're going to be watching it anyway. So we're going to do Goodfellas and then we're also going to do Casino. Oh, yeah. To uh, line up with the current chatter Very all exciting. around town about Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Which is excellent, by the way. Which we will have a uh, bonus transmission for patrons soon, coming soon also coming on soon. that one as well. Um, and in two weeks' time, I can't believe we're already here, uh, it's Christmas. Yeah. The Christmas, I'm so excited for this episode. The <laughs> Christmas episode, uh, I programmed this one. We are going guestless because I didn't know who would want to talk about these ones because this is a very Josh- Christmas double feature. (laughs) I chose my two personal favorite films to watch around the holidays. And that is Tim Burton's Batman returns. That that one is like, I get it. And then when you, and then we're also going to do Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut. Just the best Christmas movie. You know, this is our, this is my pairing of, um, isolated (laughs) psychosexual madness around the holidays from people who are very horny and very lonely. Oh yeah. Oh my god, both great movies. <laughs> oh, Can't yeah. wait to listen. <laughs> so that is what we're going to be talking about for the Christmas episode for you guys, free listeners, in two weeks' time. Yeah. That being said, I think that will wrap it up. Thanks, as always, for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all. Bye. <laughs>